Hi, my name is Benjamin Stern, and I've beaten the often path by founding my company, Nobo, encapsulated pod beauty and personal care products and water-soluble films to eliminate the need for plastic waste in the bathrooms around the world. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast, the show where we feature unusual success stories, typically with a creative or earth-forward slant to help us all see the bigger picture in our own careers and lives. Now, my guest today is truly someone special. Ben Stern is the CEO and founder of Nobo, or that's N-O-H-B-O.com, a high-growth startup that seeks to replace plastic in a variety of consumer-facing products like shampoo, bathroom products, and so much more. Their eco-friendly drops and slips are earth-friendly alternatives to single-use plastic, perfect for hotels, laundry, consumers, and so much more. They're truly trying to revolutionize the game. Now, lest you think that there's no credibility here, at a very young age, Ben Stern was featured on Shark Tank and billionaire Mark Cuban invested into his company for a 25% stake. Now he's on a meteoric rise to greatness with a mission that's really worth rallying behind. So I can't wait to introduce you to my next guest, Ben Stern. Well, that's a fantastic start, Benjamin. First of all, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. How are you doing? Doing well, and yourself? I'm doing okay. Where are you calling from? Where are you in? Sure, yeah, brilliant. I am from um, Melbourne, Florida, so that's about the that's the east coast of Florida. It's where actually Cape Canaveral is, where they launched the rockets, things like that. So about an hour east of Orlando. That's funny because uh, I'm from Miami, Australia. Really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just a <laughs> no. But uh, you've done some really cool stuff. That's what we call an icebreaker in the biz. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so you've done some really amazing stuff. You've built this company. You've been featured on Shark Tank. You have taken on funding from Mark Cuban, if I'm not mistaken about that, right? You've uh, done the whole thing. You're also a very young founder and entrepreneur. So um, really cool. I love that you have taken all of that energy and spirit and you've channeled it into something that's good for the planet. So tell us all about how you got started. Where did it all begin? Sure. So uh, when I was a kid, I was always inventing, inventing and tinkering with things. I used to go on these little day-long es- escapades with my mother to like Michael's or crafts and arts and shop stores, art shop stores to try and like build inventions and create solutions to common problems. I think I took my bar mitzvah money and bought like a bag of coffee from um, wholesalers from Seattle and then just sold it around the neighborhood, donating a lot of the profits to charity. So I always love to like sell things and also create things. And entrepreneurship was my way of merging the two together. So um, I really started Nobo, not to create a business. It was just a cool idea. I thought... um, I was in my freshman year of biology and they put on this documentary covering the ins and outs of the plastic bottling industry. And I was just so horrified to see so much yeah. plastic waste flooding the landfills and the oceans. It's and terrible. Just assuming marine life that yeah. I was like, shit, someone's got to do something to like to, to fix this. So um, I took that on myself. I went home that day and I saw my mother using a Tide pod and growing up in Seattle, which was where I'm from originally, they used to always have this mantra in schools, like reduce, reuse, recycle. And I was like, that's not enough. Like, why do we need the products out? Right. Why can't they just like disappear? Right. The life cycle's done. So um, 
I realized the bathroom was the farthest room away from our family's recycling bin. And I never knew that like recycling shampoo bottles were recycled or could be recycled, which is similar to four out of five Americans that don't consistently recycle any items from their bathroom. Um, so that's where Noble was born. It was just an idea at the time. Um, I got a job at a sub shop, Jersey Mike's, to sort of bring it to fruition. I found this freelancer on a website at the time called Elance. He was a chemist and uh, he was charging $50 an hour. I was making $7.25 an hour at a, at a Jersey Mike's, a sub shop. And I think I was promoted to $8.50 an hour at a grocery store, Wegmans. And um, yeah, things um, took a turn for the better. I got an opportunity to pitch the startup on Shark Tank. We raised around a financing from Mark Cuban, um, built our own factory where we're now vertically integrated, capable of making up to 195 million drops a year, 120 million slips, another product we offer a year. And we raised a uh, $3 million seed round just about a year and a half ago, led by some institutional investors. That is truly incredible. So you are an entrepreneur through and through. You have all of the hallmarks, right? You took your money from your bar mitzvah and you bought wholesale coffee. That's brilliant. I love it. Not many people were thinking that, I'm sure. Um, so clearly you've had a different head on your shoulders from day one. This is this is great. Um, yeah, I used to joke around. I always thought the schools were scamming us because they wanted to be like little sweet children, like going around the neighborhood selling cookies and like giving them money. And I was like, I'm the one that needs it. I'm going to take this <laughs> for myself. Yeah, <laughs> that's so great. But you had the wherewithal to donate it to charity even from a young age, which again, another step that a lot of people wouldn't take. So that's Absolutely. fantastic. You know, what was the documentary, if you don't mind me asking? What was the one that sparked it all? Oh, I I wish I could recall. It was um, like some National Geographic mm -hmm. um, video that they played in my biology class. It was like a 45-minute clip. Okay. You know what really did it for me? Um, have you heard of this show called Mega Factories? Do you know of this? It's a show... I've I think it might also be on Discovery Channel. I'm not sure. It's one of those documentaries where they go into these massive factories doing incredible volume of stuff. And one of them, you can find it on YouTube, I think, is the mega factory for Coca-Cola. And seeing that, it's supposed to be impressive. And in a sense, it is really, really impressive because you will see what appears to be a football field's width and length, just a, a conveyor belt of two-liter bottles, plastic bottles, going through this unbelievable factory at a scale you've never seen. Something absurd, like 100,000 plastic bottles being made per minute. And you're watching this, and it's like, look at what we've achieved for Coca-Cola so that nobody on the planet is more than one minute away from a bottle of Coca-Cola anywhere on Earth, something like that. But I'm seeing this thing, and I can't help but see that it's just garbage waiting to happen. Garbage at a scale that you can't even comprehend. Plastic garbage. So many bottles. And yet we're asked as consumers to say, hey, recycle something. Because as if that will make an impact when companies like Coca-Cola are spewing out millions and billions of these things that we drink, we throw it away. And how can that work out, right? Absolutely. I think, uh, see, plastic, I don't feel is an enemy. Um, okay. it's, a really, it's a strong material. It's the consumerism for single-use plastic that makes it not so friendly or not so good. Um, materials inherently, like, I don't think plastic was made or built to be a single-use, like, one-and-done material. Mm -hmm. It just accumulates. It doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I, I, I think uh, there's a new wave of conscious consumerism where users are questioning like what they're consuming, what they're using, and how long it's going to disappear. The fact that every single piece of plastic ever made it had still exists on the earth, it's like mind-boggling. Yes, so, um, true. I think uh, it really... As there's like there's a call to action to change that for sure, and I think the future is products that essentially do what we set out to do, leave no trace behind. Excellent. So you have this idea, you know that there's a problem, you decide that you want to solve it. What what were the first steps that you took to build this new company? Sure, the very first steps I did was I reached out to um, <clears throat> like uh, some executives at Clark's company and Hyatt Hotels. I wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one that thought this was a problem. So I had, I was 14 at the time, really like spotty email full of typos. Not, not my most impressive work, um, but it worked. It did the trick. I just reached out like, Hey, I have this really awesome idea that I think could solve your problem. Um, I, this is where I'm at right now. Like X, Y, and Z. And then they were, um, I got responses from it, which was pretty, uh, pretty exciting for me at the time. I was like, holy shit, you know, is this my way to like a licensing deal? Is this actually going to happen? The very first question they came back with was like, do you have a patent and do you have a product? Okay. And I was like, um, we're filing ones now. Products are two weeks out. <laughs> so I really tried to make it happen just by like the demand inherently. Like if, we got interest. I, I needed to act upon that to make it happen. It sort of drove me to building the businesses, just these steps and these promises I'd make to customers, suppliers, I'll even Shark Tank. So um, at, at the time, were neither of those two things true? You weren't filing patents time. and you didn't, you weren't two weeks out, you just said that? Or was it I actually was true? I was Googling. I was Googling <laughs> okay. how to. You committed to it and you did it. <laughs> did you hit that? Did you hit the target of two weeks or was that, did it not end up mattering? I didn't hit it in two weeks, okay. but um, it did. It didn't. It did end up happening. I think all's well that ends well. <laughs> Hot jambalaya, this is a good episode. But this is the part where we interrupt the action just for a little bit to get a bit of promo in. And the promo is simply to help grow the podcast. Again, it's a community. It's a collaborative effort. I can't grow this podcast without your help. So if you like what you hear, please leave a comment. Rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Instagram at the Ross Palmer. Do whatever you can. Share it with somebody who needs to hear this message or somebody who might be interested. Help me grow this podcast together with you. I would so very much appreciate it. I don't ask for a whole lot, just that little teeny tiny thing. So with that, let's get back to the action. Here we go. So when you say I'm Googling patent, what what did you do? I mean, there's always these stories of the, you know, Spanx founder, Sarah Blakely, about how she had $5,000 and she invested it all. She wrote the patent herself. What did you do to to do that? Did you invest your own money or do, do it yourself? Sure. Um, so what I did was I ended up calling every one of my parents' friends that was an attorney. Um, eventually, my aunt, who was working for a government contractor, an attorney looked under her. Um, the dude's name was Matthew Gernstein, and he uh, he wasn't a patent attorney. His father was. <laughs> so I sort of finagled my way into meeting with him. He was inspired by the idea. He helped me file my first provisional patent and connected me with a real patent law firm that... Um, that offered me like $20,000 in pro bono services, really wow. getting me started. Um, so it was more like a relationship game, me finding everyone I could to like um, 
helped me out because they were inspired by the idea. They wanted it to come to life as well. And I just needed help. I was starting out. That's fantastic. So what, what did you have? What was the idea? Did you have a patentable idea or did you have to invent something? Sure. Uh, well, the way patents work typically is it's almost a, a manual, like essentially the patent attorney, it doesn't need to go down to the specificity of how they could rebuild your invention, but you definitely need to have specificity. You can't just patent ideas. So um, I, when I was approaching patent attorneys, it was a little too early at first. I needed to come up with like the construct of the idea, the construct of the business. And all it was, a, was, was, was a concept at the time. So I soon realized the first thing I needed to do was build like a proof of concept for the product. So um, I found this chemist and he was the one that um, gave us our first iterations of Novo products, which was really crappy. Um, it was a okay. single use compressed ball. It like it broke apart in 50% of our users shipments, but it proved that there was an idea here, like an application here in a delivery system. And like it got people interested. I sold them on a vision. I showed them where we were at at the time, and that was enough. Hmm. Very cool. So the uh, the initial product, obviously, we're talking about. Uh, would you say like a dissolving ball, a, a container of liquid? That's what the initial product was. It was more like a lush bath bomb, okay. like a single use lush bath bomb that you just put in your hands into shower water. Like you pressed on it and it sort of caked up and then it turned into shampoo. Okay. So I I, I wasn't a fan, but there's a there's an interesting quote by like um, founder of LinkedIn. Um, he he was like, if you're happy with the first product you bring to market, you've entered the market too late. So right. I um, went on to commercialize that one product and um, it had its ups and downs. It led me to eventually making single use water soluble pods for shampoos and conditioners. It was a stepping stone. Now, what's the thought process behind single use versus a larger container for something like shampoo? Sure. So I was focused mostly, and I still am, on hospitality. <laughs> hospitality is our bread and butter. Um, they consume over 5 billion amenity bottles per year. So it was an alarming problem. And I myself frequent hotels quite a bit. So it was like a market I felt needed our products the most. We do have a direct-to-consumer line that recently launched called Sunrise Session, where users can get bulk packs of these drops. But um, there is a large impact overall still using our products versus um, bottled alternatives. For every million drops we make, we save over 22,000 pounds of plastic packaging. So... Um, yeah, it it does make a difference. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, I never thought about that, the, the hospitality industry, but that makes so much sense. All those tiny little bottles of this or that all thrown away. Surely they never recycle there either, I'm guessing. Absolutely. There's actually, um, like, Americans alone produce over 1,200 football stadiums worth of shampoo bottle waste each year. So um, it's it's a way to solve it. And there's other interesting technologies coming to the market too in this space. Uh, for toothpaste, one of our advisors founded a company called Poppets, which is essentially tied like a pod, but for um, toothpaste, Uhu, an incredible uh, European company, makes water soluble, um, or they're less water soluble as far as I'm aware, but they're like blobs of water that you just chew on and um, they burst in your mouth to replace like water plastic. 
ultimately consumers are addicted to single use. So I think companies like my own are just finding ways to allow people to have that single use luxury without the guilt that follows and without the mess that follows. Yeah, that makes sense. I just recently read a study that said that a bottle of water is 3,500 times worse than tap water also consumes. Really? And, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been doing the rounds the last couple of days. Coincidentally enough, it's been out there on Reddit and elsewhere. But, yeah, it's, it's horrible, obviously. And, of course, the amount of water that is consumed to make that single bottle of water is outrageous. It's absurd how much water goes into that one bottle. So That's nuts. <laughs> yeah, something else to consider. But, yeah, that's that's clearly... And and I saw on your website you said that 120 billion units of personal care packages are produced and thrown away every year. Is that still true, or has it risen since that was written? Um, as far as I'm aware, that's still true. So. <laughs> you have the details, yeah. Yeah. So that's a a huge, huge, huge problem. Um. So how how is your solution then? How is it different? What is it made of? What exactly is it that's better than plastic? Sure. Um, essentially, we have three components to what we do. The first is a water-soluble film. Um, think of it like a fishnet. And then a chassis, as we call it, the liquid inside. Um, it's a water-free but liquid product that contains um, a lot of like really strong personal care ingredients, shampoos, conditioners, etc. Um, so the inner contents are almost like these big molecules that get stuck in the fish net, they're the fish. And then water is a universal solvent, so it's going to dissolve the pod okay. um, holistically. So you form a pod, essentially, and then the water dissolves the film, and it releases the inner chassis. So it's an interesting technology. Um, cool. it's at, pods, pods have been around since the 60s. Um, they launched in 2012. Tide Pods in the U.S. by 2015, they comprised 15% of the whole U.S. market for all laundry detergent applications. So it's wow. an expansive market as well. People attribute that to like the convenience, the portability. I don't think um, some companies that make pods have gone as far as they should um, to promote like eco-friendly packaging. But understandably, in certain markets, it's a bit harder, such as laundry, where you risk um, elderly folks or young, young children interacting with pods um, that have extremely concentrated, harsh actives inside. Right. Um, so. And, and what, is it, what is it made of? What's the general substance? The general substance, um, we have uh, patented a blend of water-free, um, like glycerols, glycols, um, fatty acid esters. So it's uh, all natural base all natural chassis um, that just uses essentially alcohols inside that are so safe you could eat it though you shouldn't right but um, <laughs> yeah and these things are more sustainable or they can be sourced forever or what's the at scale it still makes sense for the environment absolutely absolutely um, they're general um, a lot of the materials are general um, commodity type uh, chemicals that that are have a surplus made typically from vegetable origins, so mm. it, they're they're all definitely renewable. Nothing's nothing goes against our ethos. That's really awesome, and I'm very very impressed. Um, so getting on Shark Tank, I think for a lot of people who have an idea or early stage, that's clearly some kind of dream. It's TV, the glitz and the glamour. How was that? For you, how did you get that idea? How did you get on there? 
Sure. So I uh, went in 2014, late 2014, before I had a product, um, I applied to Shark Tank two sentence email like, hey, my name's Ben. Um, what, here's what I do. Uh, I got a job at Wegmans. I was a grocery store cashier. And then one day after work, sometime in May, I got a call from Culver City, California saying, hey, we're producers on Shark Tank. We're really interested in what you what you're doing, what you have. So like my heart stopped. I was so, so excited. It was like the first big thing to happen to what I was working on. It was just an incredible moment. I went down, I shouted for my mother. I was like, guess who I just got a call from. Um, Anyways, uh, the Shark Tank producers got me a list of questions and answers I had to do. And they asked me to do a lot of videos. Um, I thought it would be cute and like a good, nice, heartwarming gesture to work with my grandmother on the Shark Tank videos. I called her Bubby and she she definitely helped me um, both on the pitch on the show and in the, with the business overall. So um, we did a bunch of applications back and forth and they were always had like they always had these um, sayings like, you know, we're cutting people left and right. So like, don't have your hopes up for anything. Sure. Um, I followed up a month later. I didn't hear from them and they said um, they were interested. So I did more videos, more footage. And in um, September of 2015, they flew my grandmother and I out to Culver City, California to film. Um, I got three offers, one from Mark Cuban, one for, from Robert Herjavac, and one from Barbara Corcoran. Um, I ended up going with Mark Cuban, $100,000 for 25% of the company. And um, boy, was I ecstatic. Uh, yeah, of course. In February, they ended up airing the episode. Um, and I didn't have any product to sell at the time. I only had like a few lab samples and prototypes I ended up doing an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign a few weeks later, and that came with its own set of challenges. But ultimately, it was good to be able to tap into at least some of that Shark Tank tsunami wave. Mm -hmm. And um, we we met our goal, um, built a supply chain from there. That is so cool. Was it a good deal? Are you happy that you did? Was Shark Tank a good deal for you? I love, um, I thought for one Shark Tank overall, absolutely. Um, not only do you get the positive PR, but it's just like a good experience for me to, um, it was just a good experience for me to get the company out there, like to encourage me to start up. The producers alone were encouraging me to deliver product. At times I had no product. I had, the, the business was all in my head. Like <laughs> they are solely the reason why there is a product to this day. I somewhat attribute to, to the show. Um, working with Mark Cuban has been fantastic. He's a very, um, very straightforward and direct guy, but he's definitely encouraged me. He's floated me more times than I can count when like we were short on cash or payroll. He definitely helped us out, but also from an advice standpoint, he's connected me with a few individuals that, um, have, have propelled the business forward. Um, the deals on Shark Tank though, they are a bit more, uh, they're there you can get better valuations in the private market should i say so Mm -hmm. it definitely came with the tick up selling so much of the company early on where it posed a problem and we were closing subsequent rounds of financing but um mark was always very um supportive and um and very generous as well so okay so highly recommend that's cool 
Absolutely. What now crowdfunding? What was the thought process behind going there after Shark Tank? It was a mistake. It was a mistake. Um, oh God. <laughs> I'm somewhat anti crowdfunding these okay. days. Sure. <laughs> I've turned to an anti crowdfunder. <laughs> but oh, um the idea was we didn't have product. I wanted to take advantage of the tsunami of Shark Tank that followed or supposedly right. followed some startup companies that were on Shark Tank. And um, the only way to do that was to essentially pre-sell product. In the end, it just created a lot of like anxious, antsy customers that I was constantly delaying product for, like without any um, any, any support system to really actively communicate with these customers. So it was a lot was really up in the air at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I tell fellow business owners like when they're deciding if they should do a Kickstarter campaign, just starting out, things like that. I think their resources are much better spent. Like if they need a fundraising goal, focusing on fundraising. If they need a sales goal, find better ways to like sell your company or sell your 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 vision. And um, depending on Kickstarters, because it can just destroy the credibility of a lot of startups. Um, I think, uh, if you tie a visionary company that wants to make a, like a profound impact to a specific product and launch that on a crowdfunding campaign, you take away so much from that company. Mm. Like now they're just like a knockoff essentially that's selling a one-off product over like a large corporate vision. Right. So do you feel like you had to come back from that as you in the later stages when you were taking on venture capital was that something that you had to actively rebound from do you feel i kind of tried to disregard it and play okay. it down as much as possible okay. just like ignore um, it and gloss yeah it. yeah like i i didn't want to take away from the fact that my vision was to saturate the market with potted solutions so like procter and gamble swab you know unilever whomever could come to us and we could encapsulate their products. Mm. Um, like we wanted to be a one-stop shop to do that. We still do. And um, to show something like an unsuccessful Kickstarter campaign that publicly displayed, I think it was 30,000 in sales. It was a little bit um, demoralizing. So mm. I, I, I expected better. I didn't receive it. And this has happened to countless friends of mine that have launched Kickstarter campaigns um, hmm. so I, I definitely tried to gloss over it. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, I, I love this show comedians and cars getting coffee, Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. And there's one where I think it's Alec Baldwin who says to him, your life has just been a series of unbroken green lights. Hasn't it been? He's making fun of Jerry Seinfeld. It seems like everything you did worked out the very first try. <laughs> Was there moments when things didn't work out? Dude, no, <laughs> every day. Okay. <laughs> Things what, fall apart every day. Like um, what? what are some of the struggles? Scale, yeah. On the large scale, things have found a way to work out, but that's not by coincidence. It's like truly just by not giving up. Like after being so worn down, tired and like demoralized, and, you know, just not seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. You know, I, I just had to keep on going because I felt like, I was at a lecture one time and then there was a speaker, I forget who it was. And he was like, yeah, the only true way you can fail is if you, is if you give up. And that was like my motivation to keep on going. Um, 
But yeah, I guess one profound incident was we opened up a factory in 2017 um, called it Nobu Labs. And it actually got into the green eventually, but I was making so many different types of products to keep the lights on. My goal was to essentially create a vertically integrated supply chain for our Nobu products. But the supply chain that we bought at the time um, from another manufacturer that went out of business um, they had a lot of customers that needed to be serviced. So I saw it as an opportunity in turn, like in, in hindsight, sorry, it turned it out to be quite a distraction. Like I was helping other people build their businesses in the cosmetics, beauty and personal care space. And as a result, I learned the space a lot. So that was a plus, but it was such a distraction because I wasn't really focusing all my energies on growing Novo. Um, a few years later, um, we got the Nobo Labs into the green, but our lease ran out. So I saw it as an opportunity to like downsize quite substantially okay. um, to a co-working space, essentially, um, which was felt like a major defeat at the time. Um, but downsize and then focus on fundraising, focus on building the product and improving the product lineup and um, forgetting other people's businesses like in the cosmetic contract manufacturing side. So um, that was in November of 2019. By March, we closed our seed round. So it definitely worked for me to downsize and to refocus. That's great. So have you always had a a great work ethic? Do you ever struggle with things like procrastination? Have there been like, what's your schedule? What's your routine? Yeah, um, I definitely, I think I find ways to procrastinate sometimes particularly on the stuff I don't want to do. But I also think that's the beautiful thing about like any education Like going to school for me was learning to do the shit that I just did not want to do. That was my biggest takeaway from high school. Um, and uh, I think it's very important part of work ethic. But um, as far as uh, my schedule goes, I wake up, I'm at the office at least from like 8.30 to 9 to 5 to 6. And then I go home and I do some work, but I'm not like one of those crazy founders that never leaves the office. <laughs> um, so you compartmentalize. I, I do, do you take weekends off? Um, I sometimes work weekends. I sometimes take them off. It just depends like if I'm needed here. So, But you're not doing like we, 16 hours a day, <laughs> seven days a week or any of that? No, God, no. I need recover. Like <laughs> if I'm doing that, I'm a zombie. <laughs> right. I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like some people just have this ability to sleep for four hours a day. I see these influencers and people talk about that like it's some kind of virtue. But I feel like that might just be a a genetic anomaly. I think some people can function on less sleep and others just can't. I can't. I don't know. I couldn't live on four hours of sleep a day. I uh, yeah, I crash like um, yeah. I I would not be I would not be functioning. I'd be on this call stuttering every other word. If right. <laughs> I have less than like seven hours, right? So, yeah, um, which you. is still hard to get sometimes. But um, I I try and um, make sure I have somewhat like of a work life balance. I used to have my um, desk in my room, and I thought that would, that that almost brought like stress into my room because I could never take a step away from work and then right. it really is counterintuitive. So I, I got rid of that and now things go well. That's good. Uh, when, when you have those low moments, when you, when things aren't working out or you can't see light at the end of the tunnel, I'm always fascinated in that. 
What do you do in that moment to keep going? I think the culture that I've um, worked to build at the company is very focused, is, is focused on problem solving. So if there's a problem, we like to solve it. Um, when there are low moments, I think I treat it like that. Like there's a problem now let's go about and solve it. Like I, I hate getting stuck in, um, in bad positions. I think being proactive or overreactive is, uh, is extremely helpful for any organization to thrive. So approaching problems before they become problems is definitely, um, instituted at Novo. Um, if problems do come up, which they always do, um, it just, they, 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 they just encourage, I think me and my whole team to find solutions. Like we, um, and in, on the research end, if there's a problem, we design something called DOEs, which are designs of experiments. Essentially, how many variables can we build to solve a single problem? And how can we reduce those number of variables by testing extremes? Mm. So I apply that to a lot of situations at the company and around the company, like testing the extremes, like the highs, the very lows, whether it's a production problem, whether it's like a response to emails or pitches with investors. So like going on one extreme or the other and finding a way to whittle down to a happy medium. That's very cool. Did you come up with that idea or did you read that somewhere? Oh, no. We have an advisor. An advisor. Okay. Yeah, like, that sounds very <laughs> smart. <laughs> that sounds like something I need to read up on. Um, that's awesome. So I guess you feel very supported in general. You feel, I mean, you have a team. How, how big is your team? We have a team of 10 full-time right now. Okay. So we're still small, yep. but we're growing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but there, there are multiple support systems. We have an institutional investors that are very patient um, within young founder. <laughs> God bless them. Um, we have a good solid team that focuses on R and D operations and um, R and D operations and business development. Um, and uh, we have these advisors that help us really on the R and D side as well. Very cool. Did did you uh, end up? Did you go to college? I'm assuming not, with all the whirlwind of what happened. Oh, I I unfortunately did not. I applied to one school, never got in. So I was like, eh, I'll give this one a shot. Um, <laughs> meaning the company, right? So it probably wasn't good that the one school was Stanford, but <laughs> the one school <laughs> they gave one chance and it was Stanford. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I didn't go to school. In the end, I got a Teal Fellowship. So that's a program by Peter Teal, uh, funded by Peter Teal. They um, give a grant to young founders. I think it's like $100,000 over two years. So $50,000 a year for two years, $100,000 total. Hmm. Um, the grant is the only requirement is that you don't go to college. Or if you're in college, you drop out of college. Whoa, I didn't know. Very much of a contrarian viewpoint. Right. Like, it's supporting like the next generation of founders to focus on their inventions with the philosophy that college can wait. Yep. Like it's not a focus. It's not a priority. Let's. Do you think you'll ever go or forget it? I mean, not that you need it. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. I, I find myself like being drawn constantly. I apologize. There's dogs in the office. In no the worries. We've but... had worse. It's been a <laughs> pandemic for over a year. It's uh, we've had it all so far. Yeah. Everything you can um, imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, 
but uh, I do want to go to college. I just don't really think I would go for a degree. Like I don't want to take any bullshit classes to go. I, I want to go to learn, like to learn new materials, new, like new fields. I find um, like science-based fields are really fascinating and it's hard to like go in as an outsider with no formal training or background um, and learn the materials outright. So I think college gives you that nice like framework. Right. So you, you would go into a science type program? Is that what you think? I would eventually. Okay. Nothing, nothing immediately though. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So, all right, this is really cool. So you've obviously gotten more than a little bit of traction. What are you working on right now? What's the next challenge for you? Sure. Um, we're trying to scale right now. We're working with like hotels, distributors, and CPGs to um, set out like what I envisioned for the past seven years to bring the products to the market. We just launched a new consumer brand called Sunrise Session. SunriseSession.com, okay. where consumers can sort of order the products. But they, um, alongside our consumer launch, we're just working with hotels to um, implement a program where they can carry our lineup. Finally, we're working with CPGs to partner with them and uh, and commercialize products in collaboration with with our IP and with our supply chain. That is so awesome. And how many how many products do you have at the moment? You have the two big ones, obviously, but yeah, we have uh, we have four core products, oh, okay. many many accessory products. I lose track. What are the four? <laughs> just for our listener. Sure, we have a shampoo drop, a conditioner drop, a body wash drop, and soap slips. Soap slips are essentially single-use sheets of film. Think of them like Listerine breath tabs. I was going to say, just <laughs> it's just that's the concept, right? First thing that popped yeah. in my head was soap. Yeah. So it's like a slice of Kraft American cheese. You pull it out, get water on it, and that's your soap? Precisely. It's good for like on the go for hotels to replace weighted bar soaps that no one really uses like the full extent of. Brilliant. I love that. That's so cool. Um, So advice for people who might be starting out. Somebody who has an idea for a product, specifically a product that they think will make the world a better place or an eco-friendly product. Where would you suggest that they start, whether they're young or old? Sure. Um, I always think it's best like to check in with others to make sure they think your idea is as bright as you do. Like ask for the cold, brutal hard truth. Um, it's sort of going back to my first steps of reaching out to Clark's company and Hyatt Hotels. That's always extremely helpful because if they share your same excitement and vision, you're going to be driven towards taking those next steps. Um, to form a business in this country, especially, is extremely easy. It takes an hour and a half to file like an LLC. Um, it doesn't take many steps, but really to build the infrastructure for an institution, like for something that you can grow into, that that takes a while. So there's always something to do. Um, I think uh, reaching out to investors, friends, partners, whatnot, expanding your network is just so powerful. These people will drive you to make your next steps and then just creating a project plan. Um, a lot of building a business can seem overwhelming at first, but like 
breaking everything into like the minutia, getting into like the idiosyncrasies of like what you do day in and day out. That's uh, that simplifies the process. It takes a lot of the burden away and you're able to like to see tangible progress as you grow. And that's exciting. I think uh, one of the tools I used early on, like was Asana and it was super cool to see like that unicorn that shows up when you complete a task. And then I looked at the past tasks and it was like a trending graph. But um, overall, reaching out to contacts early on, whether they're interested, prospective investors, et cetera, it's always good to do that um, when you're just starting out, because essentially you prove to everyone that you're like a line over a dot. And what I mean by that is if you reach out with one, like one point of communication, wherever you are, you're a single dot on a graph. Like they have no former context of where you are or where you're going to be. Mm. But if you continuously update these people and show your growth, even if they don't invest at you in one stage or they don't like partner with you or buy your products at one stage, they're going to see your growth. They're going to see your growing, budding like company that's making tangible progress. And that, um, I think that drives deals and that drives more deals and partnerships than anything. Hmm. So you had a list of people that you were trying to track down and you just said, I'm going to update them every so often and you just kept them in the loop. How did you actually do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's what I do more so now that okay. I wish I told myself years ago. Oh, okay, but, um, right. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what I do. I um, you, you have a list of people you consistently keep updated. It's not necessarily that difficult sending some high-level messages every once a quarter per se just keeping those in the loop of your progress. And then it creates like this juxtaposition that you can see like, Oh wow, this company's growing. Like this founder is doing something and making it work. And yeah. And then one day the time is right and they might invest in you or you might build another partnership. Exactly. I think that's, that's how it works where they can see that you've physically achieved progress previously is indicative that you will achieve more progress ahead. Right. Is this something else that you picked up from your advisors? Because it also sounds very cool and very official. Oh, um, I think I read an article on this one. Okay. <laughs> um, one of our colleagues sent it to me a few years back and I was like, wow, I better start implementing this. And um, it's worked out. That is cool. What's uh? What's the most recent biggest win you've had? The most recent biggest win was, I'd say, launching Sunrise Session. It was a year and a half long effort to launch a consumer brand. We worked with consultants for hundreds of hours to try and meticulously develop this direct-to-consumer brand. And it's something like we can point to and say, hey, you know, we've done it for us. Now we can do it for you, yeah. which is consistent with our models. Like our, my job here is to prove that people will adopt the pods as a one-to-one alternative to their bottled consumable products. And right. Sunrise Session is not going to be the only brand in the market to do that. But it's one we can say, like, if we did it for ourselves, we can do it for others. That makes perfect sense. Has your vision changed since you started? Or have you kept true to the same initial idea? Uh, the idea has changed. The vision has not. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in those early days when you first reached out to Clorox with your little tiny pitch, um, what did they, when they responded, what kinds of stuff were they saying? Were they giving you some feedback that was negative or was it just purely positive? What kind of responses did you get? Sure. Uh, The initial responses were very positive. 
kept me going. They wrote, they wrote something along the lines of like, we're super interested in this. Uh, we just acquired Burt's Bees. Um, like this could be perfect for their lineup. Let's discuss internally. Do you have a patent? And I was like, I'm on it. <laughs> and this um, is from a cold outreach. Cold outreach, completely cold. Um, similarly to High Hotels, I found the email to like their CEO, Mark Koplamazian. And um, he was like, uh, this sounds interesting. I'm CCing in our, um, like our chief vice president of global operations. And I never expected a reply, but um, that like made my day. This was like, now I have to get it done. I'm talking to these people. They're interested. <laughs> this is yeah. a viable company. Yeah. Because there's a demand, and now I have to figure out a way to supply. So that that was exciting enough for me. I mean, uh, it will vary from business to business, but really, whatever like whatever message gets you excited enough from the end consumer that will power you through like the shitty times and the good times. That's like what I cling on to. Like when things are bad, like people still want this product. There's a massive demand mm -hmm. um, that gets me up in the morning. Um, alongside like the altruistic benefit of what we're doing. But um, I think it, getting that is so fundamental towards self-motivation, especially when you're early on, you're not getting paid. You have really nothing in it other than an idea. There's so much work ahead, et cetera. Yeah. And, and today, are you working with Hyatt? Is, is, is it in all of the hotels or is that still work in progress? No, uh, we're not working with Hyatt specifically. Okay. We're working with hotel distributors. Our oh, model okay. changed to um, work with hotel distributors over end hotels specifically. Okay. Um, just because that's where hotels were buying. But yeah. Okay. And you've you've landed some big ones at this point? Uh, hotel distributors. Yeah. yeah, we closed a uh, 14 point. Well, we closed a 76 million unit commitment with a hotel distributor in Europe called Bunzel. Okay. So. COVID took a hit there. Right. <laughs> we took a hit there, but um, yeah, we're recovering. That's, uh, yeah. Too, I mean, it makes sense. So so Europe is maybe one of the first early adopters of this then, perhaps. Uh, they might be. Okay. Absolutely. They are um, very keen to adopting plastic-free solutions, and yep. they're also constantly passing legislation to ban single-use plastics in the EU. Great. And you'll be right there. Man. I got to say, this is a very cool story. I'm glad we connected here. Um, really, really awesome stuff. You're clearly a very brilliant individual, which I'm sure you hear often anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very cool. What can you say? Um, I guess to get to some more generic, quick things before we wrap it up here, um, what would you say the best piece of advice you've ever received is? Um. The best piece of advice I've ever received, uh, uh, I would say from, the, there were two things. The most impactful piece of advice that got me going was like, um, this is a dumb idea. Came from a friend of my father's that I was pitching to invest. Um, so <laughs> that was like, I needed to have my, no, it isn't moment. Like I, I had to be stubborn with it. I had to prove him wrong. Um, and that got me going a little early on, but the most, um, the most impactful was the same quote I gave you earlier on in regard to the CEO of LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, like if you enter the market with a product, 
that you're happy with, you've entered too late. I've entered the market with multiple iterations of products. We're always iterating. We're always improving. So I think that has calmed a lot of my nerves and concerns when selling products because I, I consider myself with the products we produce somewhat of a perfectionist. So it like irks me to every degree if things are off or mm-hmm. they just have to be flawless. Um, but uh, but we have to also enter the market because we're not making any impact if we don't. And to the listeners out there, note that you entered the market before you had any product at all. So you validated before you had a single thing. Which is absolutely, <laughs> of course, you know the right way to do it versus the wrong way. I'm just going to build something and hope somebody likes it, which is what I'm personally very guilty of myself. So, who am I to? <laughs> That's why we're listening to you right now and not me. <laughs> uh, do do you read? Do you read business books? Do you read for pleasure or not at all? So I do read. I. I've read a few business books, but um, I don't consider myself a business book reader. Okay. I mostly, um, I, I I read like autobiographies and um, and uh, like, I don't know, adventure type books, things like that. Autobiographies. Yeah, I love those as well. That's my favorite. There's stuff. a good one um, that I'm reading right now called Scar Tissue by um, Anthony Clytus. Anthony Clytus, Ke- yeah. I, I read yeah. that once upon a time when it first came out. Yeah, great book. Very heavy stuff, but very cool. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it, it definitely is heavy. But <laughs> yeah, but it's very uh, good. Yeah, brilliant. Um, that's fantastic, man. Well, I, again, I want to be respectful of your time here. Um, what do you, do you have anything else that you want to promote? Obviously, we'll put your links up everywhere, but uh, anything specifically that you want to draw people's attention to as a kind of closing remark here? Um, just, uh, I would say... The closing remark, our, our new Sunrise Session line is up. It's a really, really powerful new experience that I hope I hope people love. So if they want to check it out, that would be super appreciated. Um, I think uh, for me in particular, founding a business has sort of shaped me. Like I was very introverted, very shy. I had no confidence at all growing up. We moved a lot of times. Um, I think entrepreneurship was my answer to all my problems. Um, it allowed me to find my identity, and I think it can do that for a lot of people. Um, finding, founding a business, a nonprofit, like just waking up in the morning and knowing that you're making a difference and knowing that you have things to do. That, um, that is what I found myself addicted to. It's my drug. So my drug of choice. So, yeah. Well, that's, I can think of no better way to wrap it up. That's very profound. Very awesome. Congratulations on all of the success thus far. Very much looking forward to see what the next five years holds for you. Obviously, I know it's going to be absolutely insane. The pandemic will be over soon and you'll just, you'll be gone, man. Um, But again, yeah. Yes. Thank you very much for taking the time. And uh, with that, the uh, podcast is over. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. Again, I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Boy, that was a joy. He is truly an incredible individual who's up to great things. I only can wonder where he's going to be in five years, but I think we all intuitively know that it's going to be amazing. Such a great story, so inspirational, such a great attitude. If you've liked this show, if you've followed a few other episodes, or if this is your first time, Again, I humbly ask you to rate the show five stars, to leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, 
Follow on Instagram at the Ross Palmer. Share it with a friend. Tag somebody. Tag somebody who needs to hear it. Do whatever you can do to help this podcast grow. And as always, if you have an unusual success story or if you know somebody who does and you know somebody who should be on this podcast, please recommend them to me. I'm always looking for new, interesting people to connect with. So share them, reach out, get in touch. I love hearing from you. So with that, thank you again for listening and I'll see you soon.